Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 today. The title of the message is Balance Sheet Blessings. I'm going to surprise you with something. Though it was more than 40 years ago, in 1972, I received a bachelor, uh, a business, uh, I received from the business department of Middle Tennessee State University, a bachelor of science degree in marketing. I was in pursuit, uh, or in pursuit of that degree, I had to take some prerequisite courses. Prerequisite courses are really hard courses. They ought to call them, do you really want to be here courses? Because the prerequisite courses are designed to see if you really want to be there. And uh, a few of the courses that I had to take since I was a business administration major were accounting courses. Now you have to be a certain kind of person to excel at accounting. The kind of person that I'm not. And so I took those courses and I passed them. Um, I, uh, they were not my favorite course, and <clears throat> I did, they did not help my GPA, I'll tell you that right now, uh, because I didn't have that love for accounting that some people do. However, I did learn some things. I learned that in a balance sheet that you compare your liabilities to your assets, and that'll give you some idea of what your, <clears throat> your worth is, what your, your value is. And I've, I've learned a lot of things along the way that have helped me in pastoring, things that weren't necessarily things that I learned in seminary. Uh, one of the, the best things that I learned in being a pastor was from an old country preacher who said, if your outgo is more than your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And uh, <clears throat> I felt like that was pretty good accounting, and more people ought to understand that kind of accounting. I start out giving an accounting illustration this morning. Because today is a, a balance sheet of sorts. And uh, we're going to have the feeling of a balance sheet in this message. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest message that was ever preached. And the reason I can tell you that is because it was preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount is that portion known as the, the Beatitudes. And we're going to read again the first six verses, even though we covered that last week. And then we're going to pick up and learn from verses 7 through 12. Matthew 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and Utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, since we're balancing out the blessings that are given here in the Sermon on the Mount, let's talk about blessed assets. Let's look to the asset side of the balance equation. If you were listing your personal assets, all right, here's sometimes you apply for a job and, and they will say, all right, would you please list why you feel like you're the person for this job? And then you have to go through and <clears throat> list some personal assets. If you're going to list your personal assets, you might uh, talk about how smart you are. You might say, well, I'm, I'm smart enough to do this job. Maybe you are <clears throat> good looking. Maybe you are uh, uh, got boundless energy and wit and charm and or maybe you've got so much of all of that that you just want to express it that you're just modest. Uh, maybe you've got all kinds of, <clears throat> of things going in your life that are assets. When Jesus listed the assets of the believer, he included some things that we might not include. He included meekness. He included <clears throat> brokenness and other inclusions that I just wouldn't think about. I wouldn't think about uh, the, the kinds of things that, <clears throat> that Jesus added as being assets. In verse 7 and 8 and 9, he gives three more assets that I wouldn't give, but Jesus gave them, so they're assets. He gives next, mercy. Here's a blessed asset for your life and mine, and that is to be a person who is a person of mercy. Matthew 5 and verse 7, blessed are the merciful, and why? Because they shall receive mercy. This is an interesting way to set an expectation, that we earn mercy by showing mercy. That people who are merciful end up being the recipients of mercy. But the question is this, do we have mercy because we received it or do we <clears throat> receive mercy because we have given it? It's kind of a, as, as <clears throat> my doctor down in, in Miami a year ago when I was in the hospital down there and had a blood pressure thing and he asked me, he said, Mr. Ray, the question is, it's a chicken and egg question. Did you have blood pressure problems and then the chest pains, or did you have the chest pains and then the blood pressure problem? He said, <clears throat> we don't know. Well, I think I know which came first, whether it was our mercy or his mercy. I believe it was his mercy. We know that he, <clears throat> we love God because he first loved us. And I don't think this is an offer of mercy as much as a statement of how it works. The way that mercy works is this, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. It is, a, <clears throat> it is something that is born out of the mercy that we obtain. Mercy breeds mercy. It's a pay it forward kind of a thing. We receive <clears throat> the mercy of God when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at uh, now at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy uh, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Now what is mercy? Mercy is an act of unwarranted forgiveness. It's a sympathetic heart. Whenever you're forgiven, but you don't deserve to be forgiven, that's an act of mercy. Somebody ever had mercy on you? Have you ever been a certain way and somebody just kind of <clears throat> forgot the way that you were and they went ahead and showed a kindness to your life and they showed forgiveness to your life anyway? <clears throat> that is mercy. That's what we're talking about. 
as those who have obtained mercy uh, and, and divine sympathy, <clears throat> we're supposed to give that mercy. We're supposed to extend that mercy. If you have obtained mercy, if you're saved, if you're born again, then you have obtained mercy. And if you have obtained mercy, <clears throat> you're to show that mercy. doesn't mean that you don't have a level head. It doesn't mean that you, you do not do good business. It doesn't mean a lot of things that people want to make it mean. But it does mean that you have a sense of mercy about you. If we are not merciful, we're either hiding our light or maybe we haven't received the mercy that we claim to have received. Mercy is a blessed asset. Here's the second thing. Not only mercy, but purity. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We understand the importance of living a pure life. But how do we have a pure heart? A pure heart is more difficult than a pure life. You say, wait a minute, I have a hard time with a pure life. A pure heart's tougher than a pure life, and I'll tell you why. Because it's difficult to even know when your heart is right. In in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, how can anyone, and that's all of us, with a heart condition like this possibly benefit from the asset of a pure heart? If you have a heart condition where it's desperately wicked and it's deceitful above all things and you can't even know it, how can you say then, well, I'm going to have the blessing of God because I'm going to have a pure heart? Well, how can a heart that's, that's like Jeremiah described make itself pure? The only way to have a pure heart is to have a heart given to you that you don't already have. It's to have a heart transplant. It's to have something happen in your life, excuse me, something happen in your life that gives you a new heart, that gives you a new hope, that gives you a new opportunity. Let me show you what the psalmist said in Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What the psalmist asked. He asked God to create within him a clean heart. Now, why would he ask God to do that? Because he couldn't do it himself. He couldn't create a clean heart himself. It's not possible to create a clean heart for ourselves. It's not possible to clean ourselves up. It's it's like trying to do laundry uh, out in the middle of a mud field. You you just can't do it. uh, Every move is going to get something dirtier. Acts 15 and verse 9 says, having cleansed their heart, by faith. So where does purity of heart comes from? It comes from God. You've heard me say before that we must find something better than the measure of our own heart because our own heart will lie to us. We must depend on a different kind of heart to live our lives. We have to depend on a a pure heart, a new heart that God puts within us. That's the kind of heart that we have to depend on. You've said this before. Some of you have said this before. Maybe a lot of you. You've said, well, if I know my own heart. You say, well, if I know my own heart, <clears throat> then you go on and tell what you might know because you know your own heart. Now, here's the thing about that. We don't know our own hearts. You say, come on, preacher. Surely everybody knows their own heart. I may not know yours, <clears throat> but I know my own heart. No, no, no. You don't. Jeremiah said, It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's not a statement that you want to make unless you're admitting that you don't know your own heart. You can say this, well, if I know my own heart, and believe me, I don't, 
<clears throat> because none of us know our own heart. The only heart that we can know that is pure is the heart that the Lord puts within us. That's why we have to get born again to have something put within us from which we can live a pure life. You, we, we have this old nature, this old heart of man <clears throat> that is put within us at our birth. Now, it, it's, it started like that. It's, I mean, it's new as far as it being in a baby, but that heart from day one is contaminated in that it has the sin nature of Adam because Adam disobeyed God. And, and wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We all have that sin in our hearts. All of us do. Well, then how am I going to please God if I've got that sin in my heart? You have to get a new one. The new heart has to come to you. Where do you get the new heart? That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, what happens when you're born again? You're given a new heart. The Bible says old things pass away and all things <clears throat> have become new. Pastor Ray, are you telling me that there is a new pumping heart inside of me? I'm telling you that that which is really you, the heart of you, that which loves, that which uh, believes, that which feels, and, <clears throat> and, and so forth and so on, is brand new when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, all the possibilities begin to open up to you that were closed to you prior to that when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. When, when, the, when God himself has created within you a clean heart, a new heart, when that born-again experience has come, and when you say, wow, I want to uh, live this way, I want to have this in my life or that in my life, where did that come from? It comes from the new heart. The old heart didn't get remodeled. It's a new heart. Only God can know our hearts. And only the heart that God gave us at the new birth is worth trusting. <laughs> that is the asset that assures us of seeing God. So we've seen two assets thus far. The asset of mercy and the asset of purity. Here's a third one. The asset of peace. These are all blessed assets. Mercy, <clears throat> purity, and peace. Now, this is a unique asset. In verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, I think that's an interesting thing there. You know, when you, when you read the Bible carefully and you understand that, that Jesus, I, mis, I misspeak all the time. I say things, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. But <clears throat> the Word of God never misspeaks. Well, it didn't really mean that. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Word of God does not misspeak. It says what it means. Now, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And here's what Jesus said. For they shall be called the sons of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's the value of, of, <clears throat> of reputation. If, if you want to have a reputation for Jesus Christ, if you want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a person that exalts Jesus through your life, be a peacemaker. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. If, if you have to <clears throat> tell your children that you're the parent, if, uh, excuse me, where's my button? There it is. <clears throat> if you have to tell your children, now you obey me because I'm the parent. I'm your parent and you've got to obey me. <clears throat> if you have to emphasize to them and hold them hostage and remind them <clears throat> that you're the parent, chances are you've lost some of your clout in parenting. If you were a parent, they would, <clears throat> it should be apparent that you're a parent. 
They should see that you're a parent. They should call you their parents. They should understand that you're a parent. If you have to remind the people who report to you that you're the boss, then your position as the boss has not been established as it should have, and it may have diminished. Now, I'm the boss, and I'll make these decisions. If you have to remind somebody that you're the boss, chances are somewhere along the way you've diminished some of your, your uh, leadership so that they don't really call you the boss. They call you something else. I don't know what. Don't really want to know. Neither should you have to tell other people that you're a believer. Now, it's okay, and, and we should. <clears throat> the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We should tell other people that we're believers. But you shouldn't have to tell somebody you're a believer. They should know you're a believer. They should know. Now you say, how should they know? Well, Jesus said one time, uh, this is how all men will know that you love, uh, that you're mine because you love one another. That's a way to know. Here's a way that he says right here is by being a peacemaker. The, The redeemed of the Lord should say so, but we should be peacemakers so everybody would, everybody else would say so. There are certain qualities that tells others that we are believers. Of course, being faithful to the house of God is an indication that that we're a believer. But there are other things. John 13, 35, I just uh, referenced this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. If love causes people to to know it, being a peacemaker causes people to speak it. To say it. it says, "By it, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." We will be called the sons of God, Jesus said, when we're a peacemaker. Then we'll be called the sons of God. There are <clears throat> certainly more assets than these three, but it's important to have these three in our lives. Are you a peacemaker? Now, if you go out this afternoon. And you say, okay, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to tell all my friends that I'm a peacemaker so they'll call me a believer. That's not doing it. Be a peacemaker. When you're a peacemaker, people call you the children of God. It's, they acknowledge that you're a child of God when you're a peacemaker. So these are some blessed assets in our lives. What are some blessed liabilities? Well, there's a couple of them. Verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now here we have introduced to us <clears throat> two different liabilities. Many believers experience these liabilities in one way or another. For instance, here's a blessed liability. When you are righteously wronged. Now, that's a good way to put it. When you're righteously wrong, that's a blessing, even though it seems like a liability. Oswald Chambers said something interesting. He said, if you're a saint, God will continually upset your program. And if you're wedded to your program, you'll become that most obnoxious creature under heaven, an irritable saint. Sometimes we are, are wronged and we become irritable about it. And the reason we're irritable and we're wrong for righteousness sake, and the reason we become irritable about it is because we don't feel like that if we're doing the right thing and loving God and obeying Him, that we ought to be wronged ever. When in fact, Jesus said, you're blessed when you're wronged for righteousness sake. That's a good thing. Now, it doesn't say you're blessed for when you're wrong for being 
you know, a jerk. You go out and you'll be a jerk and somebody wrongs you and, and you say, well, I'm just blessed because I've been wrong. No, you got what you had coming. You were a jerk. That's not what the verse says. The verse says that we are blessed if we are wronged for righteousness sake. Do, do we have the assurance of God's blessings for all these other things? Can an obnoxious Christian say, well, I know that I'm being blessed of God because people are persecuting me. You may be being persecuted because you're obnoxious. There could be any number of reasons. <clears throat> Look, the promise of Matthew 5.10 is when we are persecuted for righteousness sake. That means if you're mistreated because of your Christianity. In fact, let's build on the, the previous verses. If you who are merciful and pure of heart and people of peace suffer persecution because of who you are and what you stand for, you are blessed with the kingdom of heaven. You have a unique and powerful blessing. Now again, we should not read work salvation into this. We cannot work our way to heaven. The grace of God saves us from all sin. However, if we are truly wrong for righteousness sake, it's a good indication of our established route. I'd rather be wrong for righteousness sake than for being wrong and having a wrong spirit. The unrighteous would not <clears throat> willingly suffer for righteousness sake. It is a liability to be righteously wrong, but it's a liability that God can bless. Have you ever been righteously wronged? Have you ever stood for something and stood in the right way and stood with the right spirit, yet still the wrong thing came to you as a result of it? That's being righteously wrong. And when you responded rightly, you know what God did? He says, blessed you are. You're a blessed person when you're righteously wrong and respond properly. Here's the second thing, and it's similar to the first, and that is representatively persecuted. Here are two two uh, blessed liabilities when we are righteously wrong and representatively persecuted. <clears throat> Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Once in a while, uh, you'll get, come across somebody like a Tim Tebow, not often, but once in a while, who comes on the national scene as an unlikely focal point of Christian controversy. <clears throat> There's no reason that that guy right there ought to be a focal point of controversy. No reason whatsoever. But he is, and there's only one reason that I can tell, and that is that he's a believer. I don't know him, but all that I've read about him points him to be a, a man who is not only an outstanding athlete, but has a genuine desire to please God. Now, I don't know him. I'm not in his skin. I'm not a Gator fan, so I'm not enamored with him because he's a Gator. I just like this guy because of his faith. And, and the truth is that this, this guy's faith is a unique kind of faith. Now, he is not perfect. Uh, as, as anyone who knows Christ as Savior will admit, <clears throat> but he says, I know that I'm a believer and, and I don't make any excuses for it. And then when he was traded from the Denver Broncos uh, to the New York Jets, I mean, New York City had a field day that this missionary kid was coming to New York City. 
I mean, they just had a field day because he represented everything that they seemingly didn't represent. And, and it was such an interesting thing. Just, uh, I guess it was last week, I was watching, uh, I was at the barbershop and I was watching a sports show out in the, the waiting area and they were talking about Tim Tebow. And the guy had some radio program and, and he was being uh, uh, put on the, the sports cast and they were talking about Tim Tebow and then and quoting Tim Tebow about wanting to help the team and so forth and so, so on. And in the background, they were playing the 1965 song by Leslie Gore, Sunshine and Lollipops. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Da, 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 da. And they were mocking the guy. They were just mocking him. Now, the reason that they were mocking him, there's only one reason that they were mocking him. He's a believer. That was, <clears throat> that was a representative persecution. Now, that isn't an egregious example of the point. It, it's, <clears throat> it's just to point out that sometimes you can be ridiculed for his namesake. It's better to be ridiculed for his namesake than to be ridiculed for your sin's sake and what you've done and what's happened in your life. Some of you have experienced this kind of representative persecution. I have too. What do you do? Well, you remember whose name you are representing and you allow him to defend you. That's always the thing to do. There are plenty of people who encourage you to pick up mud and and to throw back, but don't do it. You are not running for office. You are representing Jesus Christ. And you are blessed if you suffer for his account. You have to believe that. You have to live that. You have to understand that. You have to be honest about it. Am I being blessed for righteousness sake? Am I being ridiculed uh, because I represent Jesus Christ? Or uh, am, am I <clears throat> suffering because of the way that I am or the job that, that uh, the person that I am or the, the, my reputation in the neighborhood and so forth and so on? We have to be very, very uh, careful. Just remember that you are representing him and only represent him, especially in those cases. So we've seen the blessed asset and the blessed liabilities. That leaves us with one more thing, and that's the blessed equity. What is the equity that comes out of all of this? You, you've got the, <clears throat> the equity and the liabilities equal the assets. Well, what is the blessed equity? Matthew 5 and verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Interesting, isn't it? That nothing we would have listed is on this balance sheet. List all the assets you have as a, as a believer. Well, I can sing. Uh, <laughs> I can, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I can do this. I can do that. God didn't give any of those. God says, look, <clears throat> you are among people who are reviled and persecuted and, and cursed for my name, and you ought to be very happy about it because there is great reward with it. H- have you found what makes you really happy in life? I, I went to the FSU game last night. I hadn't gone to an FSU game in forever. And I went to the FSU game last night, and, and I saw a lot of people, and, and they were a lot happier this week than they were last week. And I, I think, okay, 
this makes them <clears throat> happy in life for this week. But you, you want to be happy in life for more than a week at a time. God says, I'll tell you how you can be happy in life more than a week at a time. Find you another place for your happiness. And he gives you these attitudes. He said, if you'll be of this attitude and this attitude and this attitude and this attitude and this attitude, then you'll be happy. Then you will have found happiness. What makes you happy in life? And does it last? And will you have it after this life is over? Will you still have that happiness after this life is done? You know, in New York City, there's over 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. That's a lot of cats and dogs. New York City is, <clears throat> is just concrete and steel. Now, all of us know that cats and dogs die. What do you do with a cat and dog that dies in New York City? You don't have a backyard to bury it in. What do you do with a cat and dog? Well, the city authorized authorities <clears throat> to, um, for $50 to come and pick up your dead cat or dog and to, to dispose of it, to give it a proper or an improper uh, <clears throat> disposal. I don't know which, but uh, that's what they'll do. Well, there was a lady who's a very enterprising lady, and she thought, you know what I could do? I could render a service for the people of New York City, plus save them some money, plus make a little money for myself. And so she placed an ad in the newspaper, and here's what she said. When your pet dies, I will come and take care of the carcass for you for $25, half of what the city charges. This lady would go to the local Salvation Army, and she'd buy an old suitcase for $2. And then when someone would call her about a pet that had passed away, she would go to that home, and she would put that deceased pet in the suitcase. And she would then take a ride on the subway. There are a lot of thieves on the subway. <laughs> she would set the suitcase down, and she would act like she wasn't watching. And while her head was turned, a thief would come, and he would steal her suitcase. And she would look up and say, wait, stop, thief! But, of course, the thief would take off. And when the thief got to his treasure, then he had to pay $50 to the city to come and get <laughs> the dead cat. A lot of us are like those New York thieves. We are chasing after happiness, and we grab what we think will give us happiness. However, when we get it home, it doesn't quite deliver. How does your balance sheet look? How are the blessings going? Do you have mercy because you've obtained it? Are you a merciful person? Are you pure in heart because Jesus Christ has given you a new heart? Do you make peace with others because you are at peace with God? There's a blessed life. You can have it, so can I. However, it doesn't come from something you pick up in a subway or on the side of the road. It comes by a real and close and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have that vital connection and relationship with Him, your life can be truly You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.